I'm told that two Australian Navy men staggered out of a London pub one very foggy night. They were unsure of where they were because they were drunk. And so steadying themselves, they saw a man entering the pub, but they had not noticed his flashing badge and his flashing um, emblems, Navy emblems, military emblems. And so one sailor blurted out, say, bloke, you know they call men bloke in Australia, right? Say, bloke, do you know where you are? The commanding officer snarled in response, do you know who I am? The men looked at each other and one said to the other, we're really in a mess right now. We don't know where we are and he don't know where he is. Now, if there's one thing that we're going to learn from this morning's text, it is that Jesus is no bloke, and he knows where he is. He knows who he is, I'm sorry. The question really is, do you know who he is? And so in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 22, we find these words recorded. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. I want to say to us this morning that it matters to Jesus who people say that he is. It matters to Jesus who people say he is. So the question is, just who is Jesus? Now be very careful how you answer that question. Notice that the question is not, who is God? That's an easy answer. That question usually gets responses like, the Creator, our Heavenly Father, the Almighty, the man upstairs. But who is Jesus? The question, who is Jesus, is a different question. And how you answer that question carries some ramifications with it. Jesus is the one asking this question. Please note. First, who do people say I am? In other words, what's the word on the street about me? What are other people saying about me? I believe that if Jesus were asking that question today in our postmodern uh, society, I imagine that he would get answers that range from the agnostic to the religious. Some people would respond, who cares? And what's that got to do with anything? Others would ask, what's he done for me lately, or even for the people in Florida and Puerto Rico, and the Carolinas, who took such a beating from the recent hurricane. 
Still others would respond that he was this great moral teacher who did many cool stuff called miracles and who taught many great things. Some might say that he was the son of the Virgin Mary. Muslims would say that he was a prophet, a prophet of God who was sent to bring justice to the world. Others who would want to justify their lifestyle would say he didn't judge anyone. He accepted everybody. Now, why should Jesus care about what people thought of him or were saying about him? He cares, I think, because he doesn't want people to misunderstand his identity. He doesn't want people to make a mistake about him. You see, he's not John the Baptist, although, according to his own words, there was nobody who was born of a woman who was greater than John the Baptist. Those were Jesus' own description of John. But he was not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah, although Elijah was one of the greatest prophets. Elijah had the ability, for those of you who are married, and those of you who say secret things to one another in your bedroom at night, Elijah could tell you what you were telling your spouse. He did that. He had this ability from God to, to say that. Elijah could pray and it not rained for three and a half years, and then he could pray again, and then the rains poured down, poured down from heaven. But Jesus was not Elijah. He's not one of the ancient prophets either that was risen from the dead, although there were some really great prophets like Moses, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, and Daniel. Jesus is far greater than all of the prophets combined. He wants people to know him for who he really is. But I want you to know that who you say that Jesus is, uh, is what Jesus is really after. Who you say that he is, not what other people are saying that he is. Who you say he is, is who he's really after. And he won't stop pursuing you until you're able to say with conviction Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now, there's a difference, I'm told, between a preference and a conviction. A preference is a strong belief, but a belief can change depend, depending on your circumstances. Example, peer pressure can make you change your belief. Family pressure, lawsuits, jail, Threat of, a threat of death, these things can make you change your preference. A conviction, however, according to David C. Gibbs Jr., I don't know, necessarily know him, but I'm told that he's, he was um, the president of the Christian Law Association. He says a conviction is a belief that you will not change. To go on to quote him, Preferences aren't protected by the Constitution. Convictions are. A conviction is not something you discover. It is something you purpose in your heart. Convictions on the inside will always show up on the outside in a person's lifestyle. It matters who you say that Jesus is. Secondly, 
it matters more to Jesus who you say he is. So it matters to, it matters to him what people say, but it matters more to him what you say or who you say that he is. And so Jesus' Jesus's question to you this morning, as it was to his disciples back then, is who do you say I am? Now, he's not asking you to repeat something that you learned way back in Sunday school or in VBS or in youth group. He's not asking you to um, share something that you read about him on some bumper sticker. This is a question that is designed to get at your personal confession about who Jesus is, about who you know him to be. Personal confession. Who do you know Jesus to be and who do you confess him to be? What is your deep personal conviction about Jesus? Because you see, your personal confession is your declaration about Jesus, who you're willing to say that he is based on your own conviction, what you know in your heart of who he is. When your conviction is that Jesus is the Messiah sent from God, you can declare it anywhere, in private or in public, without fear and without shame. Now, I like the way that Matthew records Peter's personal confession about Jesus. Matthew 16 and verse 16. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you don't make a confession like that lightly. In fact, you can't make that, that confession apart from God himself revealing that to you. Because that's what he did to, to Peter. He reveals, I'm sorry, he revealed this to Peter. Now, I'm told that back in the mid-19th century, there was a Scottish pastor known as John Duncan. And he formulated something that is called a trilemma. Now, you know the word dilemma? Now, there's also a trilemma. And a trilemma is a situation in which a difficult choice has to be made between three alternatives which are equally undesirable. And so he claimed, he says this, I'm sorry, if Jesus claimed that he was God and was not, he was a lunatic. If Jesus was neither God nor a lunatic, then he would be a liar. If Jesus was neither a lunatic nor a liar, then he must be God. You can only choose one of those. It's either a liar, a lunatic, or he was indeed God's son. Now, C.S. Lewis in 1942, that was like 80 years ago. He expanded a little bit on this trilemma that uh, John Duncan uh, just, um, that I just read about uh, um, John Duncan. I want to quote what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. 
he would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a, he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit him out and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. That is who Jesus is. And so your confession that Jesus is the Son of God can only be made after you personally believe in him and in what he came to do for you, which was to suffer, to suffer in your place, which brings us to our third and final point, that Jesus' suffering is the greatest validation of who he is. Luke tells us that he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third, and on the third day be raised. Now, I have always wondered to myself, and maybe you have as well, why Jesus often commanded his disciples not to disclose who he was, not to tell of his identity. I would think that he would really want the whole world to know who he was. But the issue here is that his timing was not yet. The time for that was not yet. He does want everybody to know who he is. But the timing for this revelation for the whole world was not yet. Because you see, first of all, first of all, he had to suffer many things, Luke tells us. Or he himself tells us through the mouth of Luke. He had to suffer many things, and then he would be rejected by the Jewish elders and chief priests. He must be arrested, falsely accused and tried, made a mockery of, treated like a criminal, humiliated, made to carry his cross upon which he would himself die for your sins and for mine. That is who Jesus is. The one who suffered in your place on the cross and in mine. The beauty of this whole thing is that Jesus did not just get up one day and suffer. It had been prophesied many years prior to that. In fact, 800 years before that, that he would in fact suffer for the sins of the whole world. I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And I want to ask you to let your heart, let, let your heart, not just your ears, let your heart be touched by the sorrow, the grief, the suffering, the pain, the affliction, the oppression. Because these words are all going to appear in this passage. Let your heart be moved when you consider how much Jesus went through for you as I read this passage. Remember, this is 800 years before it actually happened. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying this. He was 
despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You cannot cannot read that passage without somehow experiencing the pain and identify with the pain that Jesus himself went through for us on that cross. The question is, why did Jesus have to undergo such suffering? Why did he suffer to the extent where his face was so disfigured that you couldn't even recognize it? He did that so that you and I wouldn't have to. So that you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus suffered and died to save you and me from the power of sin and from the torment of hell. God chose this path for him because God had determined that that is how he wanted to redeem sinners from their sins. Because, you see, the word says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sin. And so it was through the pouring out of his soul unto death that Jesus would redeem you and redeem me from our sins. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning. That Jesus needs you to confess with conviction. Because it's one thing to confess with your lips. It's another to really confess with conviction that Jesus Christ is not only Lord, but that he is your Lord. We have just one application point this morning, which I'm actually going to have you stand and do with me. We're all going to do it together. It's not a trick either. I don't believe in tricking God's people. It is an affirmation. And so the application is, let us affirm our faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that this morning by reciting and repeating together this article of religion that is contained in the Wesleyan 
um, discipline. Um, what the, the, yes, the Wesleyan discipline or the discipline of the Wesleyan church. And so together, I want us to all repeat this together. And again, it could be very easy for us to repeat it by rote. It could be very easy for us to just go through the motions and say, that doesn't require anything. But I want to ask you, as much as you're able, to read this and affirm this as a conviction and a declaration and a statement of faith that you are making or we are making together. Are we all agreed on that? All right. Realize that there's nothing in there to trick you, right? Okay, I'm not tricking you this morning. This is serious business, all right? So let us, re let us repeat and affirm this together. We believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, truly God and truly man. He died on the cross and was buried to be a sacrifice both for original sin and for all human transgressions, and to reconcile us to God. Christ rose bodily from the dead and ascended into heaven, and there intercedes for us at the Father's right hand until he returns to judge all humanity at the last day. Let us pray together. God, we affirm this this morning with conviction. We believe that you are who you say that you are. And we believe, Lord, that since we affirm this, and since we affirm who you say you are, that that requires something of us. It requires for us to submit to you as Lord and to live our lives as if you were indeed in charge. God, we pray that you would help us to allow this affirmation of faith to be real to us. May it guide our lives, may it guide our decision-making. May we always live in a way that honors you and points to the fact that you are Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.